Jack Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Kumar to my herald. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, I was doing well until I found out that my local podcast was replaced by a podcast shack. Oh no, not podcast shack. Is Anthony Anderson hosting this podcast too? <laughs> <laughs> All right, in our very own freak show. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? Hey, you know, it's going to take me a while to fix up your car there, so if you boys want to, you know, go inside, wash up. Uh, go fuck my wife and watch TV. Go right ahead. <laughs> I can't. So much hospitality. <laughs> I just can't believe that this is uh, where we're heading. Seahawks uh, Nest fans, we are uh, breaking in some new audio equipment, courtesy of our, our loyal patrons. So in this episode, if you hear uh, something that you don't like with your ear holes, uh, let me know, and I will try to adjust the uh, the audio levels, the stuff. I'm, you know, I got to recalibrate. It's like new stuff. We care so, about your ear holes. And please don't say it's one of us. That's a that's a low blow. Yeah, don't be like Kevin sounds bad because just be like Kevin's microphone sounds off. You know, because Kevin sounds bad makes it seem like it's his fault, and it is. It is 100. <laughs> percent But I already know it. Okay. And now you're just rubbing it in. Let's get into uh to the to the news of this week. This was a very special teams uh themed week for news. Uh, let's go first to the man with the untucked shirt. That's Sebastian Janikowski. Uh, Sebastian Janikowski wore a jersey this week, didn't tuck it in, and won the kicking job. Uh, Kevin, I know you were like a Jason Myers truther, so does this does this sting a little, or are you okay with it? Uh, it is a kicking competition. I never claimed to know who was going to win. I just said the cheaper option might be good. Okay, yeah. I just I just like calling people truthers, so so I really just wanted an opportunity to do so. That's right. Uh, Eric, did you have a dog in this fight? Uh, you know, I did say that I I liked Sebastian Janikowski just because <laughs> he doesn't tuck in his jersey. Well, I like the sloppiness in a man. Let's face it, I'm a t-shirt and shorts guy this summer. But I liked I liked how he he seemed to take control on the kickoffs, and that's the stupidest thing I've ever said about a kicker or about any position. But I'll say this: I never saw that from Blair Walsh. I don't even think I saw it from Hoshka. I like the leadership. I'll take it for one year. Um, so then the other big story is that the man, the myth, the legend, 2019 MVP, John Ryan, is now holding Stephen Hauschka's balls again in Buffalo. Uh, he, he was cut by the Seahawks. Then he signed with Buffalo immediately because their punters tore his ACL. Uh, lots of stories came out this week about how well he treated uh Michael Dixon and how that that's going to like jumpstart Dixon's career, which is awesome. Uh, John Ryan kind of admitted like, you know, every old dog has to has to find his day or whatever in his post. And he's like, yeah, it it was classy finish for the man uh, who we all kind of came to love. Right. He earned the captain C. uh, And I I was a you know, it's it's sad to see him go. But we have like a punting legend now. So we went from legend to legend. It's a good feeling. Uh, it's, It's a good passing of the torch. So, uh, do you guys have a favorite John Ryan memory you'd like to share with the uh, the, the squad here? Oh, see, there's the on field and the off field for that. So, why don't you the, go? Why don't you go off field, Kevin? And me and Eric will go on field. Well, my on field has an off field. That's the best. Oh, there part. we go. Go let's hear it. So, we all know about the legendary throw that John Ryan had his uh, his his wonderful completion that makes him the all time. Leading passer in Seahawks history, no. by quarterback rating, NFL playoff history. He's oh, the NFL number, playoff, he has the you. best rating of any Against highest of Minnesota, high. if I remember correctly. It's the best, best. No, it's, that was it's Green, a Bay. Or, yeah, highest, Green Bay. Sorry. Highest career passer rating. And so the play was exciting and everything, but my favorite part was after pictures circulated, his tweet about next time he does something cool, he needs to make sure to remind himself not to have such a stupid face. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite uh, John Ryan thing is the that run that he made where he like fumbled it and then got it back and then got knocked out like that that play is just like so hilarious um but you know he's our ginger ninja he went on american ninja warrior so like he 
he uh he was he was always awesome. Eric, do you got another one? Yeah, um, mine mine is off the field. When I got to meet him a few months ago, and I I got one on one time out with him, and I was like, hey, just to let you know, I do a Seahawks podcast, and the three of us uh, we we refer to you as the Bootzilla 2009 Seahawks MVP. And he just smiled and he was like, man, you know, I really appreciate that. Uh, it was a really bad year for us, but it was a good year for me. <laughs> yeah, and it was He's a just good an year awesome, uh, personable guy, and I, uh, I'll miss him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's truly like a, like an in- inspiration, like kind of like with his speech impediment, like all the things he does now, like it's a really cool guy. Okay, let's move on to NFL news real quick. Um, I didn't think there was much interesting in NFL land. Uh, the biggest story this week was all about this new... Uh, lowering the head rule um and so do you guys eric do you have an opinion on this lowering the head rule richard sherman came out and said like it's basically impossible what they're asking us to do uh do you do you have an opinion on it yeah i mean they have to do it there's uh, lots of lawsuits and studies coming out that hey this isn't a good thing tell the truth yeah and also let's face it the nfl doesn't want defense uh some if you're a fan of a really great defensive team you want defense people love sacks but no one wants a low-scoring game, so this is going to keep it high-scoring. This is going to move in the fences and juice the ball a little bit. Um, it's it's what they have to do, and I think ultimately what will work for the NFL's popularity. It's going to be hard on the players, though, for sure. Uh, my, my big thing for this is that I feel like they're calibrating still, right? They have to figure out, like what should be a penalty and shouldn't be a penalty, and so they're just kind of calling everything that's even sort of looks like the penalty, and then... They'll make a video for all the refs and the players that says, like, this one was a penalty, this one shouldn't have been a penalty, you know, just kind of recalibrating what it's supposed to be like. What's annoying for me, though, is they could have done that with last year's tape and come in with a bit better of an idea because... They tried, but it's hard, you know, it's hard when you don't, when you aren't looking for it to, like, you know, I don't know. The two big problems I have, number one, and this one is just a personal thing, because the calls were so bad in the first couple weeks of the preseason, this is going to be the catch rule all over again, where every announcer has to go, well, I don't know if there was a tackle or not. That's Who knows point, what yeah. a tackle is anymore? Yeah. And that's going to be really annoying. But the second thing is, when you look at the way that it's worded, it creates a very hard situation, because it is hard to... So you have to tackle them like above the knees, but below the chest, and you have to lower and lead with your shoulder, but keep your head up. I think that, you know, Richard Sherman in his typical way came at it in a very boisterous fashion, but he made a good point, which is the the rule as written is concerning as far as how legitimate enforcement can be, but I do understand where the NFL is coming from, and uh, I think that Honestly, I think the kickoff rules are doing a better job of protecting players. Harrison Smith said it the best. He said, like, we're not resistant to these rule changes. We just want them to be physically possible. There so, you go. So, like, I, I think uh, that that's totally fair. Um, all right. Let's um, – the my other NFL stories are all kind of boring. Like, I'm really excited. Longtime listeners of this podcast know I really like Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm excited that he's playing really well. I hope he gets traded to a team that's not the Jets. <laughs> oh, I think the Travis Frederick story is uh, one to talk about real quick. All right, go for it. So Travis Frederick was diagnosed with uh, um, immuno disease, and you know we wish him the best of luck. And I say that knowing that he's a cowboy, which is hard for me, but uh, he seems like a classy guy, and he, uh, you know, he's going through some off the field stuff. So hopefully he makes a comeback or does what he needs to for himself. But that's a hard way to see a player go out. All right. Uh, okay. 
So let's get into the the last game. So the Seahawks headed into uh, the Los Angeles Clippers Stadium. Uh, the Clippers play in a like four twenty thousand seat stadium, outdoor basketball it's, arena. It's so weird. It's an MLS stadium, right? Yeah, it, yes, it is. Stub Hub Arena. So I've I've actually been to this arena twice for Galaxy Sounders games, and the the stadium's really small. There's like a field you can sit in, which is kind of cool, and then they um. It's right next to another small arena that's for boxing only. So like, there's like, <laughs> there's like two arenas like attached to each other. That's or it's very like, special. Well, it's like boxing slash fight sports. You know, like I'm sure they do MMA in there too. But like, yeah, it's like a fight sports arena. It's weird. I, I hope it's boxing only. Like MMA place tries to when, book it, and they're like, no, this is a boxing arena. Well, last time I went to a Sounders game, when we were on our way out, there were definitely like people boxing in there. Like in the in the <laughs> at the same time that they had an event, it was kind of cool. All right, anyway. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and head into this game. So we, last time we went over it position by position and, uh, we got some feedback that that was a, a good way to go about it. So we're going to do that again. Um, let me open up our depth chart so I can actually do the good job with this. Let's start off with wide receivers. Um, many wide receivers appeared in this game and, 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 <laughs> and some of them are good. Wait, wait, this is my big thing. A lot of them got, got reps with the first team. So guys that got reps with the first team, Caleb Scott, David Moore, DeMaurier Stringfellow, Keenan Reynolds. Um, those are all guys that I think are like pretty far down the list of like guys that can make the team, but they wanted to take a good look at all of those guys and see how they played with the ones. Okay. So of those guys, did it, which ones stood stood out to you, Eric? Oh, um, pass, pass. Don't start with me. Seriously. I wanted to, uh, (laughs) oh, David, David, I was, I was going to throw you a softball because I was like, I know Eric's just going to say David Moore. I know. I didn't, I want to, I want to say David Moore for last. Oh, you want to see? So which one? Okay, I'll tell. I'll tell you which one. That's. I thought that's. I'm sorry. Do. We. There's a secret <laughs> that we're we're keeping from the audience here. You. You just. I have no. I'm just trying to do it the way. I think there's that a I, secret we're keeping from each other too. Apparently. Yeah. No, it's. Exactly. I didn't go first. I didn't go first on the first take of this podcast. Oh my gosh, you remembered exactly the order we did it last. Man, time I got a fo- audio. Uh, idyllic memory, except I can't say it. So. All right, fine. So if we're gonna be really picky about it, we didn't talk about just these wide receivers first because we brought up the fact that Jaron Brown. Looked like yeah. a savant on play action. Jeremy. He manages to get like a step and a half every single time a play action play happens because the guy is uh, uh, he's the prestige. That right. should be our nickname for him. Let me Ooh. go. Let me go over these four guys though, just because I feel like they're the actual bubble guys that we should be talking about. So Stringfellow, I thought didn't look like he brought much. Extra to the table. He was fine. He had a one short pass on an out route to pick up a first down. Caleb Scott didn't do anything. Keenan Reynolds didn't do anything except drop a pass that was on on the goal line. And then um, <laughs> again, and then David. Way to, way to really lay it on him. Well, I mean, like no, it's true. It's true. He they threw in the red zone. We're on the ten or the eight, seven, right in there. We throw a pass to Keenan Reynolds on the goal line. He's open. He just drops it. Then David Moore was awesome. Uh, David Moore was probably the player that did the most for himself in this game. Mr. 50-50 ball. And he had two big receptions. Um, what, 79 yards total? Am I 71, right yeah. Yeah, he had a he had a 14-yard reception and then a, a 50-something yard reception. David Moore, it's it, it amazes me that we have you know such a great front office and, and Pete Carroll that can get us these great defensive players. But I'd like to remind you with Golden Tate coming onto this team and then Golden Tate leaving, Doug Baldwin being an unrestricted free agent, coming onto this team and being an all-pro. Uh, we just lost Paul Richardson. Now, and I, I don't know how good David Moore is going to be, but I just want to point out that as as far as the Seahawks receiving core goes, it's not a problem. Like, we lose players and we literally shuffle the next guy in and we're going to be fine. I feel like Tyler Lockett looks like he's 
He's going to be the best he's ever been. Uh, we have Brandon Marshall in leadership here. David Moore, I feel, can slide into this and eventually become our number two, three receiver on this team. Yeah, uh, if Amara Darbo was watching this game, he's <laughs> trying to hurry back to the field as quick as he can because David Moore is uh, taking his he's job, moving into that pole position for that job for sure. It, Looking like a solid outside receiver that can catch the 50-50 ball, use his body well. Another guy who I think like did a lot for himself in this game, and both things that happened to him and things that happened away from him, is Cyril Grayson. Cyril Grayson makes the the really good catch, the 39-yard catch. Uh, and that was, the a, game. that was a down-the-sideline catch where he got space, caught the ball on the run. He didn't just look like an athlete who the ball was perfect for. 15 yards after the catch. receiver. 15 yards after the catch. He looked good. And then the thing for me about Cyril Grayson then is, is that, you know, Jim, uh, J.D. McKissick goes down in this game. He's probably the top guy that we want to return kicks now. He might be a sneaky – he might have sneakily found his way into a uh, full-time gig, uh, the, the first <laughs> roster here. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the summer, we were saying that he probably wouldn't make the team, and you thought, you know, he can run really... I remember you said, Nathan, he can run really fast. Uh, maybe maybe there's a spot for him on kickoffs, but he's shown that he can make some cuts, not exactly the quickest cuts, but uh, it's something that hopefully he can work on, and the guy does have speed, and he looks good on kickoffs. He's an Olympic-caliber track athlete. Like, this guy has elite speed. So at the end of the day, the Seahawks are going to keep five or six receivers. Uh, we all think Brown, Lockett, and Marshall are pretty much locks. Marshall did have like one target. He got targeted once and dropped the pass, but I don't I don't think it's like the end of the world for him. No, they're only trotting him out there for a handful of plays with the ones every time just to have that little bit of chemistry. But, I mean, he's 34 years old, I believe. They want to save that body. You know, you don't put miles on him in the preseason. You put miles on him when you need those red zone targets. And Baum will be back for week one, so there's four guys. So that leaves two spots for Darbo. Marcus Johnson, Keenan Reynolds, Cyril Grayson, Tanner McAvoy, David Moore, Stringfellow, Caleb Scott, all these guys. Um, so pick two. Pick your two. I want to, I want to hear everyone's dogs right now. You got to pick your dogs. Like who do you who do you got? Who who are you picking in the fight? This is a battle right here. This is there there are like six guys for two spots. Right you know, here. I think you're gonna have to obviously David Moore, number one. Uh, from there, if we're picking just one more, I'll say Cyril Grayson. But and we just talked about him. Yeah, I'll let you guys say more if you like. But I would like to say that I think there's a good chance Tanner McAvoy makes this team. I just feel like he has a lot of uh, experience on this team. He's not awful on the field. He's useful. He could kind of be like that Luke Wilson, that player we can't get rid of but can fill a role. Um, I just feel like there's always that that extra body spot that we keep on the roster, and that might be Tanner McAvoy's. But if we have to pick two, Cyril Grayson and and uh, Dave Moore. I always look to uh, to special team snaps as like a hint of where they might be leaning right now, you know. And uh, guys who played a lot on special teams, Cyril Grayson, uh, Tanner McAvoy, uh, Keenan Reynolds played a lot. Uh, Jaron Brown played a lot. So from that, you know, one of those guys might might pop in that I don't expect. But if I'm just going by the play on the field, I think Grayson bring special teams value and uh, receiving value and they're trying to get more to play as special teams which means that he can do the same um McAvoy, i don't think brings enough to the actual passing game to to make a, a dent there and he, i think that the other guys are just as good as special teams uh reynolds is ha, has return chops but he hasn't shown he can do anything on the field either marcus johnson is like the wild card to me he didn't look great in this game uh two targeted four times got two catches both really short 
Uh, but yeah, he had one deep ball down the sideline that he just couldn't get to. Yeah, it, but the guy obviously has raw physical tools. I think they're going to try to sneak one of these guys onto the practice squad, or maybe even two of them. And Johnson seems like he could make it onto the practice squad to me. So that's that's what I'm thinking right now. Grayson and Moore with Johnson and Reynolds ending up on a practice squad. Kevin, what do you got? Uh, right now, I'm going to say it's going to be Darbo and Moore. All right. And I think they're really? going to have uh, Lockett doing some returns at the beginning of the year until McKissick can make it back. Well, let me ask you, why do you think uh, Darbo <laughs> I don't want makes, him to do that. Why do you uh, think Darbo makes the team? I think that Darbo makes the team because, I actually, I think it's more likely, my thought pattern here is between Grayson and Moore, there's always a couple of guys that we think really show out in the preseason, your case and Williams case. Uh. And they don't end up getting that roster spot. So... And for that reason, I think they're going to take the cost that they already spent on Darbo. And the team seems to have a belief that he's capable of something. So I think he's going to get every chance in the last two games to show he can do something. And he'll end up taking one of those guys' spots. I feel like it's a three-way battle between Darbo, Moore, and Grayson at this point. And I think one of Grayson or Moore is going to lose that battle. Now, Darbo is listed as second on the depth chart, so that means that the for the media person for the Seahawks thinks that they have pole position to get the job because because I, I don't know if you guys know this, but those depth charts are not like they usually the media person for the team puts them together and then the coach signs off on it. Yeah, it's Bob Condota or somebody like that. Yeah, someone just goes in with a with a thing and says, "This look good to you," and the coach like may switch one or two things. Uh, but yeah, right now Darbo's listed second on the depth chart for right for right side wide receiver. So. Kevin, you might be right. He might be. He might have the inside track there. We'll, we will see how this develops. I think it's a really interesting uh, positional battle. Running back. We gain clarity at running back because McKissick looks like he's going to start the year on the pup list. So it looks like we'll keep four running backs, Carson, Penny, Davis, Procise, and then Trey Madden, and we'll keep him at fullback. Um, Kevin, what did you see from uh, any any of these running backs, really? Just what, what did you know? What are some things you noticed? While you so uh, let's go ahead and go through them one by one. Uh, really quickly, McKissick had the one carry for six yards, looked decent, looked solid in the return game, but broke a bone in his foot and he's out four to six weeks. So McKissick looked like McKissick. Uh, Mike Davis, I thought he looked very reliable, very solid. Had a three yard carry. Had uh, three catches, averaged about That's, six yards per catch. How'd you guys feel about him? He looks like a guy who's going to be in a on the team doing third down back duties <laughs> if we keep him. A guy who we're going to use on third downs because he's a good blocker. He did a really good job blocking in the pass game. He had three those three catches. He's shown that he's a pretty reliable pass catcher, and he's he's in a, a slightly below average runner. Let's be honest. Like yep. he's not like a great runner. So yeah, I mean. If he's like, I think he's Procise insurance. If, if Procise gets hurt, he provides a nice floor for our third down back. Um, but let, can I talk about Procise for a second? Because yeah. everyone knows I'm a Procise truther. That's my guy. Uh, they went out there and tried to kill him. They were like, <laughs> how many touches can we get this guy in a really short amount of time just to see if he holds up to the beating? I mean, we said that at the beginning of the preseason, though. Like, they have to test him out this year. Otherwise, it could it could be McKissick's job, which is funny because now McKissick's down. But Procise has kind of shown that he might be made of sugar. They gotta they gotta see if that's true or yeah, not. Yeah, give him nine touches. That's the only person, the only back that had more touches was Carson. Six catches, and he had like three in one drive. Yeah, right in a row. And then yeah. he, uh, he he had twelve like twelve yards rushing on three attempts. Um, Ten of those yards were after contact, so he did a really good job of fighting through contact. He was playing against the two uh, the twos, threes, and fours. You know, against in the late part of the game. But with our second um, and third string offensive line, right. which blows. He doesn't have great. He didn't have great blocking. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> um, 
There, yeah, and then Carson. I mean, Carson was an, was a beast. Well, really quickly with ProSize. Yeah. Uh, so what I saw from ProSize was everything we just said about Mike Davis with a better athlete behind it. Like, he just looked like if you took all of Mike Davis's <laughs> skills and bumped the slider just a little bit further up, which is a really good back to have on your team. But what I like about Mike Davis, because I, I want to say something on him before we move too far past him, is that he's our everything insurance. This guy was our, our number one back last year at the end. I mean, he was the only guy we had on the roster, it felt like. The most hyped 3.5 yards per carry in team history. Seriously, and I feel like going back to Kristen Michael, a guy who you know was cut, came back to the team, and everyone said, this guy really wants it. Mike Davis, I know he wants it. He I actually s- wants you it. Can, yeah, you can actually see it in his play. Exactly. And, and I, I, I believe a, a person like that, not only with... Runs angry with heart, but with ability. It's yeah, it's uh, it's important. I'm right. glad we have him. Before we talk about Carson, real quick, Trey Madden, uh, he's gonna make the team. The team's keeping a fullback. They use him a lot on special teams. Uh, I think it's time to just accept that we're gonna keep a fullback. So that's one less roster spot for tight ends or wide receivers or offensive linemen. The nice thing about Madden as a fullback, though, is Madden is capable. Uh, he's he's really a running back playing fullback. So he can take a carry like a running back. He can get upfield for some yards on a catch. He's not like a he's you know, been, rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. He's been on the IR like as many times as pro size. Yeah, that's he, a problem. He, uh, like he, I said, running back playing fullback <laughs> when you're lead blocking and you're a running back that doesn't always go. He's well. not a great. He's not a great pass catcher either. It bugs me. I want my fullback to catch passes. Anyway, uh, it's whatever. He he's making the team. We, well, they, 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 can, they have no competition for him on the whole roster. And if they don't like the way he plays when McKissick comes back, they can kiss him goodbye. They had Khalid. That could they, had, they drafted Khalid Hill or got him as a priority free agent, and that I think was their their guy to challenge uh, for that spot. And he got hurt, and then now it's just Trey Madden's job. Yeah. So um, quarterbacks. Actually, quarterback was interesting. Russell Wilson played the whole first half, and then Davis and Magoo both got uh, like a couple drives each. Magoo. Um, actually, I think Davis got one drive and Magoo got three. Uh, but but either way, I thought Magoo was was good. He <laughs> actually <laughs> threw the ball <laughs> downfield. Mick much better than the first game uh, against a better defense too. Yeah. That should be noted. I think even the second stringers. I'm actually start. I, I mean, I know I said I thought Magoo had a good shot to beat out Davis for that roster spot. I'm starting to really think that that might might be the case. Uh, if he puts up another performance like this and Davis does another similar level performance like he did this time where he takes a bad sack and like does goes one for three, I, I think Magoo could could take this job. They, the, they can only down-talk him so much to try to sneak him onto the practice squad. If he throws up performances like this, someone's going to take a shot on him. So we have... we. I don't know. That's where my opinion is. Yeah, with bad blocking, we couldn't put together a solid drive. You know, we 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 stumbled around for points. There was a um, Carson's fumble on the goal line. Uh, some play calling that people feel really passionate about questioning. There's a lot of things going on with the offense, but uh, Magoo looked like what you want to want a backup quarterback to look like. And I feel like we could probably sneak Davis onto a practice squad if we had to, or cut him. It'll probably be sitting there in the middle of the year. Yeah, he's not he's not going anywhere. He's a very handsome man, though, if you look at him. Just warning. Yeah, he just might be in the uh, Kurt Warner school of grocery bagging. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, all right, so that that was the uh, that was the, the everything the except for battle. except yeah. There's not really a battle there. Tight end. Uh, Disley's still a really good blocker. Picked up a really like soft blocking in the back call. Uh, Vanette was fine. He got targeted in the end zone, and it, I thought. It, there's a chance he could have fought harder for that ball, but it's not. It, that was a good defensive play. I do think that that's interesting. We've seen that play three times now, that nifty one where he kind of runs across, and then uh, 
runs a shallow. Uh, it runs shallow across the front of the goal line, and Russ seems to like to make that boot action, trying to hit him in the corner. So that's a that's an interesting play to watch when we get down to about the between the ten and the fifteen yard line. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, then the so then here's my thing is swoops. I got to get in swoops. on my, my boy swoops. Swoops played really good. Um, he blocked he blocked well, uh, which is crazy good for a converted. Uh, converted quarterback to be blocking well <laughs> at this point not their um, typical role he looked good enough in the passing game i'm not like over the moon about the performance but like i think that there's a chance that this guy has could make the team over dixon if dixon doesn't get healthy so that's something to watch i think that we're down to swoops versus dixon for that last tight end roster spot i would agree i think vanette's established himself as a pass catcher i think disley has taken the blocking role that the team wanted for uh, Ed Dixon, and I don't see the any way Ed Dixon comes in and blocks better than Disley. Dixon has, if you look at Dixon's scout stuff, though, he was an off the wall athlete coming out. I mean, this guy is a good athlete. Yes. So there's a chance he he can. It's him versus Swoops for the like athletic backup spot, basically. And do you want the experienced guy or the young guy? That's what the team's gonna have to decide. That's a fact. Um, and you know the. The thing is, when you look at Swoops, you know, you go, okay, uh, converted quarterback. And you're going, okay, well, what's that guy look like? Well, that guy looks like 6'3", 250. I mean, if you've ever asked yourself, what would Cam Newton look like if he was a tight end? He would look like Swoops. Probably like, be- it's probably slightly better, but yeah. More, more football talent, but physically very similar. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, let's get to the one that everyone's been waiting for. I saved it for last. Offensive line. Okay, um... I would say, okay, Dwayne Brown, he had one big lap, like notable lapse where he gave up a pretty bad pressure. Uh, but other than that, I thought was was really good. Yep. Um, Britt they, looked solid all Britt game. Britt looked solid. Posich looked solid. Um, I, Fluker, I have a little thing on Posich real quick. Fluker only played like eight snaps, but he was fine for those eight snaps. Yeah, I think Go after ahead. he got hurt, they were worried about that. Yeah, they didn't want to. He got dinged up, probably could have played, but they just took him out and put in Roos instead. I have a long-term comment about that. Go ahead, Kevin. What was your... Uh, so for Posich, I think he pass blocked really well. He especially does well on double teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran block well with one exception. He is uh, weak if he is the lead block in the hole if you run it right at him so if you try and run it in like the guard center or the guard tackle gap on the left side uh ethan posich has a lot of trouble anchoring that run and really winning the battle he he can neutralize the defensive lineman he can get to the second level and help with the block he can keep you from getting to him but he's not going to move the pile he's yeah, not going to not going to win you some yards he's there. not going to help you pivot yeah okay so a fetty Fetty looks really good the first drive when he's with Fluker. He actually holds up pretty well. I feel like he does decently for those eight plays. Jordan Roos comes in, and then the right side of the line for the rest of the game is an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, Fetty gives up seven total pressures, looks seven on 35 snaps. That means one out of every five times they snap the ball. Then they Oh, he pass blocked 25 times, so it's like even worse. One-fourth of the pass snaps, more than that. He gave up a pressure. Yeah, Melvin Ingram ate his lunch. Then he, had, he actually wasn't against Ingram the whole time either, Kevin. They, nope, just they, every time Ingram was over there, he ate his lunch. Yeah, I was going to say, they only played Ingram over there like five snaps or four snaps. But the but they were all pressures. Um, and then... Uh, Roos, Roos was also not good. Uh, he really struggled against the ones and then continued to struggle against the twos. I don't know if it's because he like mentally broke. One thing I noticed about Roos is he kept... 
he had a lot of struggles trying to figure out who he was supposed to be blocking. So yep. he'd like he'd he run was up, late to every play. He'd almost. run up the field and just run super far up the field and not block anyone. Or he'd like try to his job would be to seal off and he'd miss the guy and then he'd look be looking for a guy to block. That's the kind of stuff that happened last year under Cable. And it's the kind of stuff I think that's not gonna fly this year under Solari. I think you see those mistakes go away or Jordan Roos go away. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. The other thing I've noticed with Roos is he, he will get, like, in pass protection, he will have an initial, like, punch is what you normally refer to it in, in uh, blocking. His punch is solid, but it's like he just doesn't know how to sustain a block after that. So he can initially engage the block, and then he just doesn't really know how to keep the guy in front of him. The, He's not sticky. Yeah, so the for the for the offensive lineman, uh, I thought, like I said, it's kind of a mixed bag. Fant uh, looked a lot better. Fant he didn't okay. look nearly as rusty. Willie Beavers looked fine too. Yeah. I thought was I was surprised by how like decent ish he was, but he was going against very low grade competition, so it's hard to say like how much that applies. Odiamba looked terrible at guard. Yeah, Odiamba was really, really Every bad. They other only played game, him at guard too. Odiambo, it's like what what version is going to show up? Because sometimes it's, he's like, wow, he's actually growing into that role, and then he's terrible in the next game. I think it's guard guard Odiambo sucks and tackle Odiambo is decent. Yeah, and then I thought Joey Hunt was consistently losing battles in the middle. Like he was being asked to help with a double team block a lot, and I felt like his double teams got split all day. But part of that could be Roos because he's trying to help on the right side, and Roos was having so much trouble. So it could be hard to uh, evaluate Hunt in that context. Yeah, I thought no one really stood out as like ex- none of the like guys that I thought like okay if this guy jumps out you know he could really like take a job or jump forward on this team like Roos or uh, Odiambo or Fant like none of those guys were fantastic. Fant is getting snapped at right tackle in practice this week though, so it looks like he will get a shot, and I'm going to watch that pretty closely and one, because one run blocking thing I think people will get frustrated by is the fact that we couldn't punch it in from the one from like a, a mega heavy set and we fumbled it. Um, don't get mad about that. They went super vanilla in that situation to not show other teams what our one-yard sets look like. And, and I'm not really sweating it. There's That set, I don't think you'll see it very many times in the regular season. Well, so, I mean, ideally, you want to be able to punch it in from there because if you can punch it in in that way with no problem, it shows the strength of your team. It's, uh, like you said, it's hopefully something that we're not going to see because it's not all that complex. And I want to tell... Well, it's a very inefficient thing, too. Uh, running out of a three tight end set is one of the least efficient offensive maneuvers you can do. And I want to tell people something that, that I think they should know because a lot of people look at this and they go, oh, we only gave up one sack, so like, it wasn't that bad. Um, but this team gave up 19 pressures on 42 pass snaps. Oh, so like yikes. every other play, we gave up a, a pressure. It was just as bad as it was before. This is one of the best pass rush teams in the league, but they were without their best pass rusher. So... Uh, oh, Sorry. <laughs> Rest in peace, all people who used headphones to listen to this podcast. Okay, so now we go to the defense. Our offensive breakdown's over. Kick special teams is over. Dixon won. He was really good. He won the battle. Uh, oh, man, Dixon is such a good punter. Uh, then we got Seabass, uh, um, untucked shirt himself. He won his positional That's battle. That's fine, so but can we talk about Michael Dixon again? It's over. No. Uh oh. You can go. You can go to your uh, to your secret room with Nathan, your with your lotion and, and think Kevin, about. Michael I'm gonna Dixon. go. I'm gonna go watch him on Punt Hub. Nathan, we, <laughs> <laughs> we all know Kevin has a uh, has his own uh, Dixon podcast coming up. So. Okay, that's it. So let's go to linebackers first. Uh, linebackers, uh, Mingo. I see we're starting with the vegetables. Mingo played with played with the ones. <laughs> he looked fine. 
Uh, not great. Nothing exciting. I thought Bobby was okay. There was a couple plays where I thought Bobby did things that were very un un Bobby Wagner like. Um, I wrote down there was a play where he he like got really. He needs to step. It was third and three, and they ran right towards him, and or they threw right towards him, and he didn't step up in the zone to stop the guy from catching it, like three yards down the field. And it really, that stuff really frustrates me because it's like you know where the sticks are. You're Bobby Wagner. Like we got attacked up the middle a lot, and I thought both KJ and Bobby uh, struggled a little bit to cover the middle of the field in the zone. Yeah, and there, then there's another play where they ran a zone, and I thought Wright uh, got he lost gap integrity big time and got caught on the wrong side of the play. And then Tedrick had to come up and cover for him, but they got like eight yards on that play. So there was plays where those those players that we expect to be perfect all the time made mistakes, and it showed on those first team drives. The first their first team was really good against us. But those guys basically have to be perfect, which is a problem. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, but but uh, other than that, like the other linebacker, so Shaquem Griffin is going to make this team just because special teams he looked great. In the actual linebacker part of the game, he's learning the position. I thought he was out of position a lot. He was behind the play sometimes. He's just uh, overly aggressive. He's over aggressive and overruns. Uh, it's hard when the when the when the announcers are constantly hyping. Yeah, him up. there's and uh, don't forget he's a fifth round pick, so everyone wants so much from him, and it's a great story that he's here with his brother on the team, and he only you know he's missing a hand, but. We well, have, and the other fifth round pick is the Lord of the Punt. That's a high bar to match. Which, uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, I will say this, though. Shaquem Griffin, he had a, a great first game. Uh, the second game, he's going to have these growing pains, and you're not going to see him probably as much as you'd like to if you're that fan that you know wants to get that Griffin jersey right now. There's a reason that they let him play so many snaps in yes. these preseason games. He needs the work. He, yep. he, he came into the NFL not having a position. And he it, will he will grow into a linebacker position, and I think he will have great success. But I think it's going to take a little longer than people think. Yeah. In the meantime, he's linebacker Ricardo Lockett. Yeah, I like him. I mean, he's he's not gonna have a run, and I think if we, push comes to shove, if we in a pinch he has to play linebacker, he's gonna be better than DJ Alexander was. I think he basically took DJ's spot. Uh, I would agree, and I think that that's a, a an upgrade in many ways. So Jacob Martin seems to have uh, kind of secured a job as a like flex pass rusher by, um, uh, type where we play him at linebacker, but also when we flex into a three four, he plays d- uh, outside linebacker defensive end kind of hybrid. Uh, I thought he looked pretty decent. Um, he did better in the than in the first game where he seemed like he was lost a lot, uh, got messed up on coverage. He wasn't like great in coverage, but he was serviceable this time. Well, so I was happy with that. As you told me in an alternate universe podcast, uh, he's a little too small to be the defensive end, uh, rotate in there, but he does play that that spot as a linebacker. I still, I don't know, man, I, I, I see his skill set as a defensive end because I like how he comes off the line. All right, it's, then, it's pretty impressive. And there's a battle, I think there's a battle brewing for the last linebacker spot. Um, and it's between Calitro and... Uh, Sorry, I got to sort by position. Emmanuel Beal, Emmanuel Beal and Beal Jacob Pugh. And Jacob Pugh. And I think Calitro took the the lead in this job. Uh, Beal played eight snaps and looked okay, but Calitro played 26, looked good, played on a lot of special team snaps. I think he played 14 special team snaps, led the team. Uh, I think, and in the first game, I think we called him out and said, like, he he was lost a little bit on coverage, looked all over the place. This game was much better. Do you, Did you guys see anything else? Yep. Do you guys see what I saw? I mean, he... He was uh, targeted zero times in the past game. He had three run stops. I, I thought Caltro was fine. Decent. Um, Mad decent, as I, I like to say. I got to uh, tell you the story. So last week after the podcast, Kevin and I, on the way home, we were talking about the, you know just Seahawks and how happy we were that football was back. 
and um, you know the who we like seeing. And I was like, yeah, Kevin. I, I was really watching that game, but there was one player you guys were talking about, and I could not remember. I, I had no idea who this was. And so Kevin's like running down the list. I'm like, no, no, I don't know that player. Know that player. I was like, it was like Cala something. He's a Calatrell. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea who that is. So this game, I made a point to watch him and actually learn who this player was since in week one. I had no clue. But uh, I, I was impressed by what I saw. Um, I like Beal. I feel like Calatrell, um, he has presence. He knows where he's supposed to be. That that goes a long way in my book uh, as far as defensive players go. All right. So then, so we do we all agree Calatro's got the inside track on Beal right now, but that's kind of the, the the one last roster spot that they're fighting over. Yeah, Those I think so. DJ, and we all agree DJ's DJ's kind of on his way out if he can't, especially because he can't get healthy. Yep. All right. So then we'll go to safety. Uh, at safety, uh, McDougal and Tedrick started, but they mixed in Hill and Mo Alexander with the uh, with the starting safeties. Uh, and I thought all four of those guys looked um, varying grades of good. Mo Alexander had a couple really good uh, in the box run stops that I thought were pretty impressive. Delano Hill got like a, a ton of snaps. They're really trying to make sure that he's ready, and he did he did okay. I'm not I wasn't like overly impressed, but I think that he's a serviceable developmental project. Um, Tedrick was exactly what we expect you know like uh, like a earl thomas light he was tried to do earl things but was a, like a step slower and then brad was brad um i think we all have pretty good confidence in brad do you think there's any chance mutcherson Tom, tyson or lorenzo jerome sneak up and take one of these roster spots or are these the four safeties that we're going with into the regular season uh, mutcherson didn't get any play time mike tyson can't cover anything and lorenzo jerome overruns everything so i think there's four players looking for four positions this is an easy one Eric, did you see anything from these safeties that you really liked in this game? Um, I, I'm just going to echo what Kevin said. Uh, I I feel like the safety position is it's done. We know how good McDougald is. At first, he was going to be this great resource for us to be like our third safety. It was going to be amazing. Uh, he's our number one safety. I feel like Mo Alexander is going to be on this team. Mutcherson is a guy who we talked about last week uh, and going into the preseason. I was kind of excited for this guy. I don't, I don't really see him. Uh, again, it's a little early, but I'll be watching him in game three. I'll just say that. All right, so then cornerback, uh, we had Shaq Griffin uh, started across from Trey Flowers. Uh, they they mixed in Akeem King and Dante Johnson and some uh, some uh, Justin Coleman on the outside. They did that a couple times. They I think they immediately regretted it. Because <laughs> they, hey man, they have, stopped doing it like after like one or two tries. When you have like, the best in the world in the middle of the field, you gotta you gotta see if he can be the best in the world somewhere else. <laughs> I never want to see that. Be like going, you know what? Uh, our center got injured. Let's move Dwayne Brown to center. Like I don't want to do that. I, I I hope that they learn their lesson. Yeah. Um, at this point, if Maxwell can't get healthy, I think Thorpe takes his spot. Where Maxwell or Thorpe, whichever one's healthy, gets a spot. But we're looking at like Shaq, Coleman, Flowers, and then. King versus Johnson. So uh, between those two guys, which one do you think has a better shot to make the roster? Which What did you see from those guys in this game? Did you guys see anything that made you think that one of those guys is, is the inside track? I don't. Man, not not right now, honestly. They, they both played like between uh, King. Jonte Johnson played 20 snaps. King played 27. And I'll say I have a pretty strong opinion on this. I think King was much worse. Uh, Dante Johnson was, was fine, actually. Uh, and maybe... He's he. I know 49ers fans said that he was like the worst cornerback ever last year, and the stats seem to back that up. But 
he seems like the kind of physical talent that the Seahawks like to have, and I wouldn't be surprised if we developed him into a useful NFL player. I think that's possible. I'd like to also say that King, though, is a guy going into the season that I kind of I looked at as maybe a guy who could break through. I haven't seen anything from him to think that in this preseason. Again, Game 3 is a few days away. I'm excited to see what maybe he can come out of there because uh, I, I believe there is talent there, and I don't know, with, with San Francisco kind of hating... Uh, you know, on their former player, uh, I feel like, you know, the scouting report is exactly what we've heard. He's maybe the player the Seahawks like, but can Pete Carroll really turn this guy around into something super useful? The only reason why I could see Akeem King making the roster over one of these other options is because by body type and maneuverability, uh, Dante Johnson is another long, lanky corner who's much whose body plays much better on the outside. Akeem King can move a little bit converted, tighter. Converted safety, though. Converted safety can move a little tighter and play inside the hash marks a little better. I could see him maybe being a better backup uh, in the slot as a nickel, but I don't know if that's really a reason to keep him over some of the other options. Speaking of converted safeties, did Trey Flowers impress you on his 25 snaps, Kevin? Uh, Trey Flowers... He struggled, especially against Keenan Allen, but outside of playing against Keenan Allen, who's one of the best receivers in the NFL, he did all right. And he got to blitz, and he, he did, got a sack. He got a sack. Yeah. Which that is, was nice. It's cool to see. I love cornerback blitzes when they work, and I hate them when they don't. That's so, it. So, like, it's cool to have a cornerback who I feel like he's he's he looked like he was a good blitzer, so I was excited about that. And he's also, like, kind of like we talked about with Mike Davis, this is a guy who looks like he wants this position. He yeah. wants this, and... uh I, I don't expect him to to really lock down anyone, let alone Keenan Allen, unless, of course, Keenan Allen is injured. But I will say that was a little, uh, little snap right there. Uh, I, I like what I've seen from him so far, even even in a not-as-great game in Week 2. Right. Shaquille Griffin looked really good in this uh, in this game. Have we found like the next Richard Sherman, Eric, do you think? That's too much. That is a little <laughs> too bold. Uh, I will say, have we found our number one corner? Yes. Have we found our Marcus Trufant? Yes. So you're, you're, you're saying he's got to build up to it a little bit. He was targeted twice, gave up no receptions, got a tackle in the run game. Uh, I like I thought Shaq was great in this game. Um, really positive thing for him coming into his second year. Uh, that's pretty much it for cornerbacks. I don't really have any uh, strong opinions. on that. I thought Coleman, they should not play him outside. He got burned on those plays, did good in the slot. Yep. So that those Don't wreck his confidence. Um, then let's go to the defensive line. This is, this is the hardest one to talk about because there was so much good play along this defensive line after that first couple drives. So um, let's start by reminding everyone Marcus Smith is off the team. Yep, Marcus Smith's gone. Brandon, so that makes this a little bit more of a clear battle. Brandon Jackson play, started at uh, left defensive end with Frank Clark. I thought Frank looked like he was still knocking off the rust. He didn't, he didn't look super great to me. He wasn't uh, finishing anything. He he was lined up mostly against uh, against the guy who used to be on the Seahawks, Okung. Sorry, I don't know why I think we. That's all right. It's Russell right. Okung, and uh, I thought Okung did very well against Frank Clark. Uh, kind of shut him down a little bit. On the other side was a mix of Jackson and Rasheem Green, and I thought until they got rid of the starter on the other side, neither of those guys was able to create much consistent pressure. Now. After the first drive, though, on the interior, Quentin Jefferson, Jaron Reed, Naz Jones, and Shamar Stevens started getting to work. Um, what is it about inside pressure in like the modern NFL that that is like it's a new thing, right? Aaron Donald is the reigning defensive player of the year. Why is inside pressure so good? 
Do you guys? I uh, I have I, a talking point for this, but I I thought I wanted to throw it to you guys first. I'll just be real quick about it. I don't I don't think it's a new thing so much as like once once someone does anything good in the NFL, people always try and replicate it. Copycat league for yeah, sure. Yeah, and also that goes down into college and even sometimes in high school, people will see their favorite player and they'll say, "I want to be like that." And the coaches will then say, "You know, we want to try this stunt or what everyone else is doing." And from there, you're going to have guys that are going to succeed. Um, I will say for us, the defensive pressure up the middle is something I'm really excited for. I just wish we had a little more on the outside. I think a couple of the reasons why you're seeing the shift to interior pressure, there's two things that are really nice about it. One is quarterback training tells you to slide up in the pocket. And if the pressure is coming from the middle, you can't slide up. It really changes the way things work. Then the quarterback has to move to the outside, which means the offensive tackle can't be grabbing any jersey or you get a holding call. Or if there's any pressure from the defensive ends and they're keeping contain, then the defensive end should be able to close out the play. So interior pressure is very clean, and it's easier to keep gap integrity on in, on inside pressure. Well, let me ask you this, Kevin. Also, if, if pressure's coming up the middle, you got to run out to the side. That's really hard if someone like Russell Wilson, who's very adept at running... It's even hard for him to do it. It's where he starts to get chased down. Other yep. teams don't have a Russell Wilson. Yeah. it's it, And pressure up the middle, too, just collapses the pocket. It makes it a nightmare for the quarterback. He has to completely abandon the area that he wants to be standing in. Like, he wants to stand in the, this in this five-yard by three-yard area, and now he's got to be somewhere completely different. The play was designed for him to stand in that area. So now, now all the guys are in weird spots, different yep. spots. It's, it becomes an improvisational thing. And we know our quarterback's good at that, but a lot of quarterbacks aren't. So that's why I think inside pressure is so good. So let's um, so inside guys, uh, Shamar Steven, I thought, was pretty good. I only played 18 snaps. Puna Ford was very good. Jaron Reed was very good. Quentin Jefferson played end and tackle. It's kind of trying to be a little bit of a Michael Bennett, I think. And he was very good. Naz Jones was very good. Um, Tom Johnson was good. Uh, so that's like five defensive tackles. Do we are we going to keep five defensive tackles? Do you guys think that that's possible? Yes. Um, okay, so if we keep those five guys, that probably leaves four or five spots for defensive ends. Um, is there a chance we keep ten defensive linemen? It seems like a lot to me. No, I think we're probably going to have nine. Okay, like so, last season. So then, who's the odd man out here from Brandon Jackson, Frank Clark, Quentin Jefferson, Rasheem Green, and Deion Jordan? Um, I'll, I'll say I, I think it's probably Brandon Jackson. I think it's a guy who who he looks like he deserves to be on this team, but compared to everyone else, probably not as much. Yeah, when Deion Jordan comes back from the pup list, Brandon Jackson's probably out of a job. So so we all think Rasheem Green, I mean, he was going to make the team most likely, but he, he played really good against the twos, Kevin. What did you see him doing against the, after he got out of that, you know, first team and got to rely more on his natural talents? What did you see? Well, I think that's exactly it. The thing with Rasheem Green... What you saw coming out of the draft is he's a very physically gifted player. He's long. He carries his weight well. He's very athletic, which is what allows him to play inside and outside. What you saw against the number two and number three players uh, on the Chargers offensive line was that he has a very limited pass rush set that can win when he's the better athlete. He'll put his shoulder into you, kind of run past you, and then he can dip and spring towards the quarterback, which puts a lot of pressure immediately in the backfield. The other thing he has, he has a little bit of an inside rip move, or sorry, an inside swim move, where he uses his arm in an over motion, like a swim stroke, to brush away the arms of the tackle for an interior rush. But 
the issue is that's a really limited toolbox. The thing we always talked about with Cliff Averill was he had a move, and if that move didn't work, he had two more moves he could use on you. And, and he, he had just had two more after that. A huge so many pass moves. rush set. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Rasheem Green needs. This is why Rasheem Green gets to play 41 snaps in this game. He plays more snaps than anyone else. As this team knows, he has the raw physical tools to do it. He got five pressures, one sack, two hits, two hurries. He, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the, 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 the football player tools yet. Yeah, he's running on he's, motor and uh, which is, physical ability. Which is fine. He can learn that stuff. You can't teach a guy to be an explosive athlete. Yeah. It's not possible, but you can teach him pass resets. We saw this with Frank Clark. Frank Clark was an unpolished pass rusher when he came into the NFL, and the Seahawks worked on him, and now he's probably going to get 10 sacks this year. Yeah, and Rasheem uh, Green will get like six or seven effort and coverage sacks yeah. because he will be relentless, and he'll clean it up if he has time. He's that new guy on the line. Um, Puna Ford is really fun to watch because he he creates leverage with his lower body as opposed to using upper body moves like this. Like Kevin talks about the swim and the rip, these are all upper body moves. He will move a guy with his legs because he's so low to the ground, and it's really fantastic to watch. Yeah, that's we talked about it uh, before the podcast. He looks like a poor man's Drell Casey, and when you're a poor man's version of a top five player at their position, that means that you are an above average player at that position. Which for a UDFA, whoo. Well, yeah. when when the season starts and you see a, a sack that happens and you're like, who got that sack? I can't see him. It might be Bunafor because he's <laughs> going to come in love. Seriously. Well, dude, again, the guy has uh, the guy has draftably long arms for a left tackle they only on a back, 5'11 frame. They only dropped back five times to pass while he was in the game, but he did get a hurry from the inside, which is kind of nice to see. Uh, the... The other thing I want to mention about these defense tackles is Joey Ivy is good at football. Um, he's yeah. like a he was like a, a undrafted free agent. Or we picked up or we picked him up off someone's practice squad. I think Atlanta. He has a Atlanta. futures contract. I think right. Uh, so then, but uh, he's pretty good, and he's not going to make this team. But he will land somewhere and and be fine. Yeah, I, he's a rotation D tackle on another team. So here's my thing about this these defensive line right now is that we need one of these guys maybe two to step up and be stars right now we have 10 guys that i think are all pretty good they're not none of but none of them are superstars and we need one or two of these guys to step up and be a star and if they do this defense could jump up quite a few levels from where i think it is right now that's my opinion well and that's something you've talked about before is they're using this kind of flex three four look with a rush linebacker where uh, they can get Jacob Martin in to try to do some pass rush damage, or, or Barkevis Mingo, Mingo to play an extra D end, yeah, and it really changes the look because we have these really versatile players. Rasheem Green could play inside outside. Quentin Jefferson could play inside outside. Rasheem Green would be an awesome defensive end in a three four. Yep, I'm just gonna throw that. Same with Quentin Jefferson, he'd be an awesome defensive end in a three. Honestly, Naz Jones, he has such good timing for batting the ball down, and he's really angular I mean, and difficult to deal with. Naz Jones could play nose. I'm not. I'm not gonna mess around like with uh with my Naz. I love him so much, and he's 305 pounds of tall, tall. He doesn't look 305 pounds because he's so big, like tall. But because Jaron Reed is, and him are like basically the same weight. Yeah, dude, Naz, but, too tall Jones. But Naz is like 6'6", six, six, so... Uh, <laughs> traps for days. Yeah, he, <laughs> I love Naz Jones. He is fantastic. All right, so that's our uh, that's our breakdown of the uh, positional battles. As we see it, heading into the week three of the preseason. Uh, if you want to help the Seahawks Nest podcast and you have a million dollars, well, you should head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest and maybe give us ten of those dollars. Um, <laughs> we have... <laughs> we have... Um, 
Nice sewing. We have 21 patrons now helping us out. We got these new microphones with the patron money. We put all the money back into the podcast. And once we hit $100 per month, right now we're $22 away, we will host an epic live quiz competition. And we're going to give out prizes and do some fun stuff with that. So join up on the Patreon. We we put our uh, gambling podcast on there. The, uh, the lost episode from yesterday will go up there. It's basically the same podcast, but with horrible audio. So, you know, get... Get ready for that, <laughs> um, patrons. <laughs> get it, pumped. It has its positives and it, a lot of its. It negatives. has a little charm. You can hear what a r- slightly rougher version of this podcast is like, right? Um, probably, probably, maybe a little better. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, so, like, I just want to thank the the patrons who are coming in at the producer level: Forrest, Tom, Lucas, Carrie. Thank you so much, and to everyone below that, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. You are the reason that we keep going and keep making this podcast 52 weeks out of the year, which is an insane undertaking that I don't suggest to anyone ever. Now, let's say you're poor and you don't have any money and you want to help the Seahawks in this podcast. Well, we're up to in the 30s in reviews on iTunes. Keep it going. Keep that train going. Five-star review on iTunes. Five-star review on Google Play. Hit us up on Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you find your uh, podcast. Give us a heart. Give us a plus. Uh, and then also, um, go ahead and... Uh, Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, tweet about us to your friends that like the Seahawks. Tell at the water cooler. Tell your friends that hey, when you're entering that data later today, you should check out the Seahawks podcast. Every person who joins helps. I cannot stress that enough. Last week in the movie zone, we talked about the raid. Kevin went ahead and watched the raid. It's Kevin. What's your review of the raid? I want to. I want to hear. You're a fresh mind. I hadn't seen it for like five years. I kind of just wanted to pitch it really quick because we had a short movie zone. What was your, what was your um, your thoughts about the raid? I thought that uh, you very well advertised the fact that this is a uh, this is a down and dirty action movie. There are uh, there are no punches pulled in this movie. It's shot in a way that's very gritty, and that's enjoyable. Uh, there's a scene towards the very beginning, so I'm not spoiling anything. That I think will uh, it sets the tone for the movie. So. Uh, in the movie, uh, as we talked about last week, it's the police are going in and they're raiding this uh, mobster slash slumlord's compound. And at the beginning, the uh, the uh, mobster is executing people in his office. And so he has like the plastic laid out and they're uh, bound by their hands and uh, ankles. And he walks along and he just shoots them in the back of the head. And he gets to the last guy and he pulls the trigger and it clicks. And so he pulls it like three more times and it clicks. And so he rests the gun on the guy's shoulder and walks back. And he's monologuing the whole time. He walks back to his desk and pulls out the desk drawer. And the desk drawer, like you hear like bullets like tingle to the bottom. And so you look and so you look over his shoulder and you can see in the desk drawer. And there's like all these uh, these bullets and then a hammer. And he reaches in, he picks up the hammer and he walks towards the guy. And that sets the that sets the tone for the movie, like it's just a wonderfully gritty. The actiony parts are actiony. It's very good. All right. So uh, my only gripe was that the file I watched it on the subtitles were about five <laughs> were, about, were about like two seconds delayed from the action, and so I'm sitting there like watching the action, looking at the subtitle, watching the action, looking at the subtitle. As someone who watches a lot of subtitled movies, I'm very good at not noticing that I'm reading subtitles. This did not feel that way. I felt like I was a whole scene behind the whole time. It was like uh, if my friend was poking their head in the doorway and watching a movie and then turning around and telling me what happened in the movie. That's what the subtitles were like. (laughs) All right. So this week, John Cho stars in the movie Searching. Uh, It's about uh, 
he's trying to find his daughter and she by gets snooping on her computer or something. I don't I don't know. I watched the trailer, but I don't really want to see it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> John Cho starred in the movie that I went on the first date with my wife in 2004. It was a double feature for uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and Dodgeball. So Harold and Kumar go to White Castle has like a special place in my heart. Uh, the, it is a classic stoner comedy starring John Cho and Cal Penn. The, my, one of my favorite things about it is there's like a million funny little uh, uh, cameos in this movie. Like actors doing weird characters. Anthony Anderson's a Burger Shack employee. Christopher Maloney's Freak Show. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is a nurse. Uh, Malin Ackerman is Malin Ackerman's Freak Show's wife. Uh, Jimmy Kennedy's in this movie in a pretty awesome cameo. Uh, Fred Willard is in this, is the medical school dean who interviews Kumar. Like, there's so many, like, funny little cameos in this movie that I think really add to the, the whole package. And it, it doesn't come off as cheesy because they're all doing, like, funny characters. They're not just, like, being themselves. Except for one guy, Kevin, who's being themselves. Uh, so this is my favorite story about Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. So Neil Patrick Harris is a key character in this movie. And the way that Neil Patrick Harris ended up in this movie was the writers had written in a role named Neil Patrick Harris, where the character Neil Patrick Harris is basically being a jerk the entire movie. And so some people in the hall in Hollywood kind of heard about this and they were like, you know, like blowing up Neil Patrick Harris's phone, you know, hitting up the NPH saying, hey, uh, you need to talk to these guys. They're using your name. They have this character. He's a big jerk. Like, they're, they're kind of trashing you. His agent's like, you got to talk to these guys. Like, you want me to talk to these guys and tell them not to use your name and everything? And he's like, well, let's see what the script is. And so he reads the script, and he's like, I love this. And so he goes in, and he, he so he gets a hold of the people that are casting. He goes, hey, this is Neil Patrick Harris. I'd really like to play Neil Patrick Harris in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to play the fictionalized version of myself that you made. <laughs> I think that sounds really funny. That's a cool guy. Uh, Eric, do you have a favorite uh, Harold and Kumar uh, moment or you, you know fact? i love the uh the bits in this movie um you know from the little it's a it's a stoner comedy and it's dumb but i feel like that it just it appeals to so many people because we we like dumb movies that are done uh i don't know it's self-aware clever dumb yeah it's clever it's not intelligent so much like, what, like that wilson phillips uh, where they sing hold on like that's so, <laughs> yes. so good. uh i also really it's like, like half-baked one thing I never, I didn't think about yesterday was the, uh, the extreme dudes. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the, that is, that's one of my favorite things because that was when Doritos were coming out and extreme Doritos and extreme Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's this group of friends, the most obnoxious, uh, dudes you can imagine with their monster trucks and they're always trying to do things super extreme. And uh, there's one scene in there extreme, that, bro. that where a guy like uh, opens up a pack of Doritos and was like, that's extreme. And he just like rolls his eyes back and goes, woo. He has no other lines in the movie, but it cracks me up because he just owns it. It's uh, it's kind of absurd, but really funny. All right. Here's my, uh, my here's my, I always come up with a couple weird facts about the movie that we talk about. So here we go. Um, the, uh, the Harold and Kumar White Castle was originally called the Harold and Kumar go to Krispy Kreme. But Krispy Kreme did not <laughs> did not want to allow their name to be in the movie, so they Missed changed it to Harold and Kumar get hot dogs. But then they were like, "This is dumb." So they searched for a a fast food company to partner with, and Krispy Kreme or White Castle was the one that said yes. They only had one request: instead of being a different burger place at the beginning of the movie, originally it was going to be that that location was closed, 
And White Castle's like, uh-uh, White Castle doesn't close. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that thing they had to change. Which they were, I think they were totally cool with. And the other uh, thing is they filmed this movie entirely in Canada using, um, like, the, you know how, like, there's a lot of scenes at Princeton. And that, in, that, in those scenes, those Princeton scenes, they use University of Toronto's campus. And they there's no White Castle in Toronto. So they had to build uh, a White Castle in Toronto to use for the movie. And then they, Cal Penda's a vegetarian, strict vegetarian, so he had to eat veg, they had to make a special, like, veggie White Castle burgers <laughs> wow. for him. If you ever want a mediocre regional fast food franchise, you should go to White Castle. Yeah, it's, I, uh, if it's, you like a it's slider. To, it's totally it's fine. fine if you want to, like, eat late at night, like, you want to just, like, have diarrhea the next day, it's perfectly And you, you literally, you say, what do you get? Whenever I go with people, they get, like, the 20-pack. Right. And that's, like, three people in a car, and one person gets a 20-pack. One guy gets like, like an assorted like it's not just three people eating a twenty pack. The twenty pack is kind of being passed around. It's it's an absurd American thing. Yeah. So uh, that's that's it for this week. Uh, if you uh, have your favorite Harlan Kumar moments, or you want to tell us why uh, why that movie sucks or is great, uh, head us up on social media for Kevin Garber and Eric Ronick. I'm Nathan Sennett. We'll see you next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>